Welcome back to another episode of the Inside Japan podcast, which is sponsored by jobsinjapan.com, the best place on the internet to find your next job in Japan. Today, I'm talking with Matt Barnes. He's from the NBC station in Columbus, Ohio, and he's here in Tokyo to cover the games with six other journalists. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Good to be here, Charlie. Happy to do it. Awesome. So what are you and your team going to be doing at the games? So we are here to obviously cover the Olympics, to talk to our local athletes. We come from seven different states in the United States. And so we have a lot of athletes that we're trying to cover and, and talk to. But we'll also try to give the folks back in the United States a glimpse of what it's like to live in Japan, to be an Olympic athlete in Japan, and just how hard it has been for Japan to put, pull off these Olympics with all of the COVID restrictions, with coronavirus still happening, the pandemic. So a little bit of everything so that people in the United States, especially now that families and friends can't travel to the games, try to give them an idea of what it's like to be here since they can't. Right. And what has the process been like for you and your group to come into the country? Because I'm sure, you know, they not only the airports, there's already been a lot of difficulty coming in, but since your media, you're going to be covering the Olympics, there's even more restrictions on you guys, right? Yeah, it's been crazy because obviously media is coming from all around the world. It's not just the United States where we might be, you know, 50 to 60 percent vaccinated. There are media coming from countries that are barely vaccinated. So mm. the way they made it work is that you had to have a negative COVID test from 96 hours before you left and then within 72 hours before you left. Right when you got to the airport, our home airports, for me, Los Angeles, we had to prove that with the airline. Then the airline would let you on. Uh, we then, right when we landed, we immediately got COVID tested again via saliva. We showed off those negative tests. We had to register for a tracking app. We then registered on a health app as well. Wow. And then our first three days here, we've had to take a saliva test, make sure those are negative. Uh, and then obviously we are restricted as well where we can go. All we can go to right now is our media hotel, uh, like where we are staying to sleep. Uh, the other hotel I'm in right now, which is where we will do our all of our broadcasts and do our, a lot of our work. And then we are allowed to go to the like the International Broadcast Center to get interviews and uh, other things. And then the competition venues, which as of now, our group has been denied every request we've had about trying to get training footage or just any video. Like I haven't seen the National Stadium. I haven't seen any competition venue just from the outside on the bus. So this is very, very different than how a normal Olympics would be run, but I understand why Japan and uh, the committee are trying to keep us somewhat uh, away from athletes and, and other people so that we don't commingle with them. And, you know, even though I think I'm completely negative, my God, I've taken more COVID tests this week than <laughs> for the last nine months. Uh, so I feel safe, but it's just a lot. Right. And how are they enforcing those kind of rules? Because, um, you know, you've got a lot of different people coming from a lot of different countries. Like you said, you're from the United States. So, you know, a lot of people vaccinated, you're vaccinated, and I'm sure your whole team is vaccinated yep. and you still have to show off those negative tests. What about yep. for, you know, all the, all the different um, athletes and different media companies coming in? Like, do they have really strict enforcement to make sure that they're not kind of like just going off to, you know, eat some sushi somewhere and, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, so every time we leave our hotel, there's a security guard asking us if we're going to work or if we're going somewhere else. Obviously we're going for work. And then we, when we go to, when we leave, we leave right to go to a shuttle. It is like a six minute walk. So we go take a six minute walk over to the shuttle. Most of the shuttles though are right in front of a hotel where you can just jump right on. So the one we took today was right in front of our hotel. Other days it is a six minute walk. 
Uh, but then if we do want to go to a convenience store, a 7-Eleven to get something to eat really quick, you're allowed 15 minutes, you sign in and out. And if you're not back within that 15 minutes, you're in, you know, you're in trouble. I don't know what that trouble is because I haven't found out, but <laughs> there is something. And um, beyond that, for the athletes, I know for them, the Athletes Village is pretty much a militarized zone. I mean, they have locked mm -hmm. them in in a bubble and they get tested daily inside the Olympic Village and talk to other athletes who, have, who are living there now. They say it's great. You know, they say everything they need, they can get, but they are being asked not to mingle with other countries. They're being asked to obviously stay distant. Instead of eating in the cafeteria, they're told to get their food and eat it in the room. So it's, again, it's just so much different than what you would expect when, you know, with an Olympics, without a pandemic, they're, they're not allowed to be real close. They're supposed to, and obviously we all keep on our masks, everything too. The only reason I'm not wearing a mask in here is because this is our dedicated broadcast room. So we're, this is us, this is me and my group only. So, mm. you know, we, no one else comes in here. Uh, and obviously we, we're around each other all the time. So uh, we're good here to broadcast live without a mask. But anytime I leave this room, mask on, and I haven't taken it off unless I'm here or in my hotel room. Yeah. What impressions have you gotten from not only other people in your team, but other people that you've met here um, from you know, maybe different media companies or different organizations? Um, what have you heard up from them about how they're feeling about doing the Olympic broadcasting here? Like that, obviously there are a lot of restrictions on what they can do, where they can go, but also on their opinion of like what's going yeah. on with the games uh, in general. Yeah. A lot the, for the people that have done more than one Olympics, their 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 biggest thing is they're frustrated because normally by now they're able to talk to a lot of athletes, be able to, to get give people back in the United States a flavor of what's going on. It, it's hard to give a flavor of what's happening when we're stuck in hotel rooms. We're doing Zoom interviews all the time, so it, it's frustration. Uh, there's also a lot of respect for the Japanese people who are doing their best to be as accommodating as possible with these restrictions. I mean, I've been so blown away by how nice everyone has been. Because they even they know this is not how they wanted this to go. You, you know, two years ago, three years ago, I'm sure everyone in Tokyo was very excited about the games coming and the influx of tourism, money, excitement, energy, all of that is sapped out right now. It's all gone because of COVID. So, you know, it, it's both frustration, but also an appreciation for what, what Japan has been doing to allow this games to happen, but just frustration because you come here for this big event and you're covering it from your laptop. Yeah, and uh, you couldn't really think of a better place to do it than Japan, really, because the the way Japanese people are, they're so hospitable, they're so uh, you know friendly and helpful when it comes to you know helping foreigners to get around and do things in Japan. Um, I noticed this as soon as I moved here. Like that was one of the first experiences I had. It was kind of crazy actually. I, I was in Nagoya, so I first came to Nagoya when I moved to Japan, and um, this old lady on the street. I was asking, like, uh, I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a phone. Like, this is before I could even get, you know, a phone with Google Maps on it or something. And uh, I asked this old lady, like, where do I go to the station? And she's like, oh, it's this way. And then she starts walking me there. Like, and, just, you know, I'm, I'm just, like, walking. She's like, you know, she... She would try and speak in English, like, you know, where are you from and things like that. And like, try to talk to me and, and ask me some questions about myself. And then once we got to the station, she just like turned back and went the opposite direction again. So she'd like walked all this way with me just to like, you know, took some time out of her day to like show me where to go, which was really, really nice. And I'm sure you've had some experiences like that with, uh, with the people who are helping with the Olympics. All the time. I mean, just today alone, we had someone walk us from the hotel to the shuttle. I mean, I can see the shuttle from the window and they wanted to walk us right there to the shuttle bus. And then we, we've gotten to get to know the bus transport system pretty good here. 
not the public bus one, but the Olympic bus one. And they, you know, they'll ask us, do you know, you know, do you know where you're going? Yes. The next person, do you know where you're going? Yes. I mean, it's, it, it, again, coming from America where we tend to be very rude, I feel like most of the time <laughs> it's a wealth of change. And I, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave Japan and go back to America bowing to everybody because that's what I feel like I should do just out of respect <laughs> for, for what they do for us here. It's, it's been so cool. Yeah. And I mean, I went to the US uh, before the pandemic started the, the year, just um, a few months before the pandemic started. And um, one of the things that um, I think there's a the, there's a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding of how it works. So in Japan, I think um, people, it's much more standardized the way you experience hospitality here, right? Like uh, even the same words, you'll hear the same words over and over because a lot of people, they've just learned this is the way that you behave in a hospitable way. Um, what I noticed about America is you get a much wider variance of how people behave. So in some places you'll get like a rude waitress who just like doesn't come over, it doesn't give you coffee, kind of like, you know, spills your coffee on the table or something, you know, whatever it is that happens. But you also get the far end of that, which is the, the opposite end, which is you get like the nicest server who will like, you know, be completely like the sweetest person you've ever met, super kind. Uh, you know, I was with my, my family when I went to the United States and, um, you know, they would just treat us like we were family. And it was like, oh, it's, it, it's a different experience, right? Um, uh, I, but I definitely love the, the fact that in Japan, no matter where you go, you're always going to get that kind of like, you know, uh, nice reception. Yeah, I mean, in the United States, there are certain parts of the country that, you know, they talk about Southern hospitality, so they, they're they so courteous to you, they, you know, they, they call you baby, and, and, and you know, they're, they're <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you know, you don't know who I am, and yet you're treating me like I'm your son or daughter, but then, you know, a place like New York City, where people are just focused on what they need to do, what they want to do, they can be a little rude, uh, it, it's just, there's certain, I honestly feel like sometimes our United States is a country of like five different countries and how, yeah. you know, depending on what part you're in, you, you get a different feel for, for how you're treated and things like that. So yeah, it's nice to come here and everyone so far has been great. And I've talked to athletes who are in other regions of the country training before they come to, you know, to the Olympic Village, come before they come to Tokyo and they're getting the same thing. You know, I just talked to wrestlers this morning over Zoom and when they drove in yesterday, there were a line of Japanese people waving American flags, welcoming them to uh, the city, which I can't pronounce or name, but they, they're, they're just blown away by the hospitality that they're getting, and they're not even Japanese athletes. So that, that's really cool to see. Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying the conversation and I just want to take a quick moment to mention that this podcast is only possible because of the support of jobsinjapan.com. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com. There are tons of jobs on there, not only in English teaching, but also software engineering, hospitality, marketing and consulting, among many others. Most of the jobs on the board do not require any specific level of Japanese and you can get started in minutes. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com and let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, that's amazing because there's, there's that one side of it where there's this massive hospitality and lots of people like really uh, encouraging like the, the athletes and people. And then on the other side of it, you know, I've heard of things like protests, people out in the streets, like com complaining about the Olympics and saying cancel the Olympics. Um, have you noticed anything or seen anything about you know, maybe uh, anti-media protests, anti-Olympic uh, protests? Yeah, so we've heard about them. I haven't seen any yet. And, you know, on the bus, I keep waiting to see if, you know, maybe there's just you know, a sign or a group of people somewhere. We haven't seen any. Uh, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, obviously, I know there are, you know, we see the polls. We've seen them for months now about how many of uh, the Japanese people wish the games weren't here. And it, But it's just hard to get a feel for literally anything that's happening in this city when we are only seeing it via buses and from hotel rooms. It's just so hard. 
And so after 14 days of being here and testing negative all the times we do, we are allowed to leave our hotel rooms and see the city and use public transportation and taxis. I don't know how much we'll be able to do so in terms of while we're trying to do our job, we can't just go be a tourist either. But we do hopefully after those 14 days, hope to get out and try to get a feel a little bit more of how Japan feels about these games. And then just in general, just how, it, how it's, what it's like to live in Tokyo. Because right now, all I know is via hotels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So from your understanding then, uh, you know, being someone in the media, um, why do you think the games are actually going ahead despite, you know, all of these uh, not only protests and complaints. And, you know, I think I read a, a poll somewhere that something like 70% of Japanese people don't want the games to go ahead. Um, why do you think they're going ahead anyway? I think, I mean, I think there's part of it is, you know, money and contracts, things like that. I mean, that, let's be you know, honest about that part of it, which is the International Olympic Committee, when they sign on with the city, there are contracts that are met that if you, they don't, if the city backs out, they are, you know, in charge of, or they're responsible for paying. So that's part of it. I think there is a part of it too, that you know maybe Tokyo doesn't want to cede the spotlight of the Olympics to Beijing, which is the next one in six months. There's always that as well. I mean, as much as we always like to think the Olympics are just about the athletes and the spirit and the community and the unity and all that, there's always a little bit of you know underlying circumstances behind it. But I do think another part of it is that Japan and, and the International Olympic Committee and the athletes and the world is really hoping the Olympics can serve as a sign of the pandemic ending and another uh, sign of us getting back to normalcy. Again, these games are not normal at all, but maybe mm-hmm. just by sitting on, on your couch, on, you know, watching the Olympics on TV, seeing gold medals being handed out and athletes overcoming adversity, maybe that'll just help the world feel a little bit better about where we've been and where we're going. Uh, so I think it's a, there's a variety of reasons why I think it's still happening. You know, I know I've heard doctors both in America and, and Japan and around the world saying they don't think it should happen. But, you know, at the same time, I do think Japan's done a wonderful job trying to make it as safe as possible, considering it, it's, it's a viral, it's a viral thing. You know, it, you can't stop it, per se. You can't just stop it in its tracks. You can do your best to contain it. And I think so far they've done the best they could do. Yeah, and I think there's definitely something to that where, you know people have basically been locked inside with no entertainment like other than you know netflix shows or whatever it is that they haven't had that kind of like physical uh energy of something happening like something in the world is happening like it's just like everyone's just been like you know we're just waiting this thing out um and i really think that um on some level having the games like like you said a kind of might signal a return to normalcy like even in japan you know, there aren't that many people vaccinated but a lot of my friends are starting to get vaccinated now so you know it's starting to to pick up a lot more in japan and hopefully we can help other countries to do that too and and this will be you know a good way to to kind of signal like things are going to go back to normal we're not going to be stuck indoors you know <laughs> wearing masks and all all having this experience of life forever this is going to be you know we'll, we'll be able to do something about this yeah i think it's good for all of our mental health to see something on tv that looks normal you know that looks something pre-pandemic i know back in the united states when we were going through the toughest part of covid and sports were canceled it, it, it was tough for a lot of people because there was just nothing on tv there's nothing to talk about in person or over even phone or email or you know video chat so now that back in the United States, at least everything's wide open, which, you know, for better or worse, you know, you can go to a sporting event and it's, it's fully packed and mm. you can go to the malls and the shops and restaurants and they're, they're open and they're, they're full. 
so it has, I'll say this, it has been weird coming here and after not wearing a mask in about two and a half months in the United States to now wearing a mask all the time, it's like back to the future kind of deal. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that's how it is. You know, I get it. You know, certain countries are further along than others, you know, whether it's right or wrong, what the United States is doing, we have that fight every day in that country about, are they opening up too quickly or not? So, mm-hmm. you know, I just think, but I do think it's good for people regardless to be able to see the Olympics as some something that reminds them that, hey, we can get back to this and things are going to be okay. We're not going to be stuck in this pandemic forever. Yeah. And to be honest, I think that the experience of the pandemic has been really different in Japan from, from the United States. And, um, you know, I have a lot of uh, American friends, um, so I, I have some reference to this. But in Japan, um, we never we had like lockdown in a sort of like a pseudo lockdown. But under the Japanese constitution, the government doesn't really have any right to tell businesses not to open. They don't have any right to tell people to stay in their houses. They can recommend things. And because of the way Japanese society is, most people will just comply because they, they think, well, this is for the greater good. Everyone can wear a mask. And, and I personally going around Japan, going around Tokyo, you know, going to my work and stuff in the last year and a half or so, I haven't noticed people not wearing masks, you know, even now it'll be like, you know, one in, you know, 200 people might not be wearing a mask. And so because of that kind of like high level of compliance, like the case numbers have been really low here. I think it's only been a total of around 3000 deaths in Tokyo in total um, compared to, you know, United States where you have three times the population, but like a hundred times the deaths. Um, So uh, yeah, I think um, in Tokyo, we've been kind of going around like, not like normal it's been different for sure and that you know a lot of the kind of events that i used to go to would now go online or um you know it, but it, it definitely hasn't been like in other countries where there's been almost like this sudden like military style lockdown um so yeah i do i do hope that um we can kind of continue with that but but america has also i think that's changed a lot in the last six months like you said that they uh, a friend of mine went to the united states in november last year and he's there now and he said like it's it's palpable the difference is palpable yeah it's 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 ridiculous how much different it's been from in just last six months i mean six months ago what that'd be january and that is when we were going through the winter and we're all locked in our homes and you know people just got stir crazy and so the virus was spreading pretty good. People were mask weary too. They were pretty much done with wearing masks after six to seven, eight months of it. And so, yeah, it was, it got bad there. And, you know, case numbers were like, you know, I hear cases in Japan are, you know, around 1300 or something like that. I mean, we were around 10,000 just in my state alone. Wow. And my state has 11 million. We were having 10,000 cases a day. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, and the deaths in Ohio, I think we're up to, oh, I'm trying to remember. i obviously left the country about a week ago uh, but we're we're i think around fourteen thousand or something like that i mean that's just ohio but obviously around the country it's over six hundred thousand. so yeah it's um there's six hundred fifty thousand. so it's just been night and day in how japan yeah. and how the united states have, have handled these two things yeah well i really hope that the olympics is going to go off without a hitch like that's one of the worries of, of a lot of people here is that i don't think japan has very much or if any at all of the delta variant here so um i think there are some people who are worried about you know perhaps people coming into the country and and spreading um you know the new variant of covid which is much more virulent there was also a worry um a couple of weeks ago about um or maybe a week ago or so about um i think it was the um one of the athletes from uganda um who has uh kind of left the um 
he's gone missing or he's like gone off somewhere. No one knows where he is. And people they did find him, by the way. Oh, they did find him. Okay. They, did, they, they got him in central Japan. I didn't see what city, but they did find him. Okay, good. Um, yeah, like some of his team tested positive for, for COVID when they were here. So I think a lot of people were worried about that, but you, that, that's all okay now? Apparently, yes. <laughs> it, was a, it was an odd story, but they did find him. And I'll say this, you know, what the, the amount of cases we've seen here, I think it's around 71 right now that have happened since, I think they said July 1st, 71 cases. That's pretty good considering how many people are going to be coming into the Olympics. Uh, and I think the reason the number is as low as it is, is because they're, what I told you, you, know, you have to get tested before you leave, you get tested at the airport, and then you get tested at the village or, where, you know, here at the hotels. So you're, there are like these three layers of protection, which are departure, arrival, and then while you're here. So you can kind of weed out the ones that might be able to spread it so early that they don't spread it. So yeah, someone may have the Delta variant, but they had it before they even left for Japan hard to spread it in Japan when you're still in the United States, you know? So um, I think they have done a good job of all those three layers of making sure people don't have it before they actually get to a place where they can spread it and infect other people. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I'm glad they're taking this really seriously because, you know, people are worried, but I'm, I hope that, you know, it will go off without a hitch and then we can, we can enjoy some of the Olympic games and, and watch that on TV. Um, I want to thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the podcast. I know you've got other things you've got to get to, but um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I hope you have a great time in Japan. Let's, um, let's go for sushi once you're allowed to get out of the, uh, the hotel. <laughs> I would love that. I, I, I don't even know where to go. You have to show me where to go, man. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem, Charlie.